Hello, and welcome to the Los Angeles Magazine podcast. I'm Leslie Souter, the magazine's food editor, and for the next half hour, at least, your humble host. It's March, which means that spring fever has sprung, and we have your cure, luckily, in the form of 52 unique ways to spend your Saturday. We'll also spend a little time making fun of Venice with Will Arnett and chat with Editor-in-Chief Mary Melton about a frightening case of local medical fraud that might have you thinking twice about that spinal surgery. Yikes. But first, let's check in with our in-house historian and beloved knower of all things, Chris Nichols. That's right, it's time to ask Chris. My name is Joe. I live in Hollywood, and I got a question for Chris. was wondering why there aren't any more searchlights in the sky. Did the FAA come out against them, or are they just not popular? That's right, Chris. I've noticed an absence of those lights scanning the sky uh, of late. What's going on with that? Where'd they go? Well, well, they're still there, but they're, they are fewer and farther between. The, uh, the big ones, the big ones that you'd notice from far away, um, those mostly get back to World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are little ones in the back of trucks that are kind of easier and cheaper to get. They're like four four put together. and But those don't really have a big throw, so maybe you don't notice them, which is kind of the whole point of having one of those. I wonder if there's some newfangled um, display technique that has become the new... Well, I guess it's probably the internet, but the, <laughs> but the, um, the idea of these big things was to just draw people in to ask, like, what's going on? And the, um, the guy that has the biggest collection, a guy in the valley that has um, these the big World War II one, you know, which is like something like five mile throw or something with this lamp, he said that people come up to him and say, how does this work? And he says, it just did. You know, <laughs> that's kind of the whole point of it. They're I'm, pretty simple. I'm curious, is there an actual military history to these searchlights? Yeah, before radar, uh, you would take a big flashlight and shine it at the sky and look for airplanes. <laughs> you know? And that's what these things are. Um, they're cast-offs from the pre-radar age. And then, so sometime between searching for uh, bombers in the sky and them being junked, they spent a long time just announcing that movies were happening. I remember... Movies, yeah. and But I mean, also like grand openings of department stores yeah. or, or you know, some suburban supermarket somewhere or something. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely movie premieres. Uh, thank you, Chris. Certainly. I am here with our always fabulous style editor, Linda Immediato, who is here to tell me where in the month of March I shall be shopping. Uh, where am I going to spend my money? I think you would love. There's um, Artisan Fleas. It's a new flea. Well, it's sort of like unique LA. It's sort of like a brick and mortar Etsy shop. Okay, so, cool. Yeah, so as it's 100 vendors. It's, they're moving to Abbott Kinney and the corner of Abbott Kinney, Abbott Kinney in Westminster in Venice. And it's this huge like warehouse space. We have handmade jewelry, candles, one-of-a-kind pieces and um, all at affordable prices. And, and always like, there. Uh, it's gonna be there actually every um, first and fourth Saturday of every month. Oh, okay. So it's a bi-monthly. So it's basically pack. a cool regular flea market, but um, is it is it well curated in particular? Yeah. Like it's not like walking down to the weird parking lot down the street. Definitely not. No, okay. no, like, <laughs> Which no, I do a lot, the by the sketchy way. yard sale or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, um, it's all curated. I mean, it looks like an Etsy store, like what you would see when you go online. And you know, you, and it's almost you have that um, speed of shopping that you do online because it's a hundred vendors all like right next to each other so you can like instead of clicking you're going to be stepping but it's, so it's a nice and you'll be by the beach so you can go cruise to Abikini and see the ocean so it's that's so, a great agreement. It's so funny it seems like throughout all industries right now with food and with shopping and with everything everybody's just kind of trying to pile under one roof um, and just to make everything more efficient you get tons and tons of choices mm-hmm. um, and it's great probably for these little vendors because if they can't afford their own whole like giant storefront they can exactly. at least be in there for um, on a, and around Abikini like you know what rent is around yeah. there so yeah. that's really high profile space for some um, kind of arty 
30 people. Yeah, think of like. it of, for you. Like, think of it as Grand Central Market, but for shopping. I need everything to be put in the context <laughs> of food for me to comprehend it. So that helps. Thank you very much. Um, okay, where else am and I And then the, my, the next store I'm really, really excited about because I am a huge DIYer um, is this new store in Melrose called Maker's Kit. And you can buy the kits online, so I have one to make for you, Leslie. You might be interested in the bar maker's kit. So it has like a how to put together a shaker and stir, and you probably know all that. Oh, like bar as in like cocktail. cocktail. I was picturing like a cliff bar or something. I'm like, oh. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. There's much more. Okay. cool than that. Yeah. Um, air plant terrariums and all kinds of jewelry, all kinds of crafts that you can make. And so, so they have, they hold workshops where you can just go in there and peruse their kits, like. So this is not, this is like Michael's for the much more ambitious and cool. And cool. Yeah. yeah. It's really um, like, it's the stuff that you would see in like trendy shops, you know, glass terrariums with pebbles and... And they sell all the supplies and show you how to do it? Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. If um, you're really savvy, you could just go and get your stuff and leave, but... Um, but they'll be happily show you how to do it and they even host like regular workshops yes, for I'm... kids too. So so that place sounds yeah, really great. It's really fun. Sounds like you won't be finding the these shops, but in the March issue we showcase a trend of, and it's a trend that's baffling me because I don't know how to wear it, but it is see-through clothes, which sounds completely insane. But in the March issue we have a way of making it look totally approachable and elegant. <laughs> yes. um, tell me how you did that. There's some magic involved. <laughs> um, so undergarments. Yeah, undergarments was, are the key actually. I mean. It's always shocking when you see on the runway they don't have undergarments. You know, it's a family magazine. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also it's like how you would wear that in the real world. So you'll, even though the runway showed see-through organza silk and lace that you, you know, barely there. Yeah. Um, it's just being smart. So you have to have some staples. I wrote about this um, in 2012, I think, because back then the sheer uh, trend was a trend. And we were dumbfounded then, so I did this little <laughs> sidebar. And so Spanx has a whole um, brand new high-end line. Stuff that you'd want to show. It's kind of a little bit sexy, but does all the work that Spanx does. And then I, you know, just looking for, you. what you want is a strapless. You want a tank okay. with thin straps. Um, camisole kind of thing. Camisole, yeah. yeah. Um, if you want to wear tap shorts, there's like wider, high-waisted... Tap yeah. shorts is what they're called? Yeah. Do, you ha do I get to do a whole routine yeah. when I wear them? Yeah. I love that. Um, and then you can layer it with another dress. So a slip. Remember, I remember when I was a kid, I never wore a dress without a slip. When he's Catholic. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I don't know where you grew up. <laughs> dress I also wear like hosiery. Just, you can stop after you, Los Angeles. You no, can stop after wear a dress and just put a period at that, and I would be I would be dumbfounded. <laughs> so yeah, so, you wear, so slips. You know, I don't think people wear them as much anymore. Uh, you know, short slip, a long slip, full slip, and that's an easy way to just throw it on, throw you know a nude slip. So that's what I'm wearing under it. So what does make the sort of sheer trend of 2016 different from the sheer trend of 2012. This time it's much more romantic and another trend this season is Victorian actually. You see, there's high collars and ruffles and it's just very and lace and has that whole romance whereas last time it was more modern and bright colors and kind of crazy mesh and now it's soft laces and lace and it's really pretty. I mean we were I wished we had a tiara and a crown or something because it's <laughs> like hey, where's my princess you know tiara they're just princess dresses it just makes you feel so feminine and floaty and like a fairy. No. And I suppose we're actually better yeah. equipped for it than people in colder climates because if there's one benefit of things that are sheer and lacy it's that there's the air gets through it and there's holes there and it, <laughs> it by its own very nature sort of breathes so that's yeah. great. And I have to say like every spring I feel like designers look to like soft and feminine and and the color palette's really pretty too like mint green and pink maybe like easter egg colors or candy uh well pretty. i feel like i need to head immediately to the intimate section of my local <laughs> department store and stock up so i can wear some of these gorgeous clothes thank you so much thank linda you. thank you leslie okay i am here with my uh favorite person 
I say that to all the editors. Marielle Joaquim, our arts and culture editor at Los Angeles Magazine, who is here to tell me what I am supposed to do in the month of March. What am I going to do? I'm just going to pretend like I am your favorite editor <laughs> okay. since I sit you across are. the hall from you it's and we true. talk every day. You're the one I see most. That's right. That's right. Um, well, there is a ton of stuff to do this month, but probably the thing that everyone is going to be talking about is the opening of the downtown LA art gallery Hauserworth and Schimmel. So it's in this huge 100,000 square foot, basically like a giant art compound. Um, technically it's a gallery, but it's formatted similar to a museum and it's being curated by Paul Schimmel, who used to be, for, for those of you who have a very long Rolodex of information of LA's art world, he used to be the curator at MoCA um, before he stepped down from that position. So he's back on the gallery scene with this enormous, crazy, beautiful gallery that's actually based out of Zurich, and this is their very first Los Angeles outpost. So it's actually one of the international gallery, like one of a few international galleries that's opening in LA super recently, and one of which um, is opening in February is Spruce Majors, which is gonna be at 5900 Wilshire, right smack dab in the middle of Museum Row by LACMA. How am I supposed to know Spruce Majors? Well, you probably wouldn't know Spruce Majors because this is their very first gallery in the United States. Where And their home base is? Berlin! Berlin! Berlin. That's cool. They think that Los Angeles has um, a phenomenal discourse with really great artists and phenomenal art schools and all these cool people are coming out of it and they were like, why wouldn't we start this gallery in Los Angeles? Not only um, are they starting it in Los Angeles, but I hear they're actually opening in our office building, oh, yeah. the Los Angeles Magazine office building. Pretty much. So it's going to be downstairs. Um, in the same space where the ballet used to be, um, but now it's going to be this really cool art gallery that anybody who's at LACMA can just hop across the street and go visit and see some more cool art, and it's just it's going to be pretty great. Excellent. That sounds awesome. Um, now on to books. What should we be reading this month? There is a really great book, and, and for anybody who's a, a fiend of Los Angeles history who likes to just gobble it up, there's a, book, a great book coming out by David K. Randall. It's called The King and Queen of Malibu, and it's all about how... Malibu used to be this insane kind of wild frontier land that nobody knew about, and this um, this couple, Frederick and um, May Ringe, they settled it back in the 1800s when it was just free, wild land. Um, and it details, this book kind of details their entire lives of how they turned Malibu into what it is today, and it used to be this private empire, and they talk about how one time came for you know trains to start passing through and building PCH and all these developers wanting to come through, the Ringes fought for 30 years to try and keep Malibu a private estate, and it actually was one of the longest land battles in California history. So it's a pretty fascinating book and kind of just like a look at how one of our most famous neighborhoods came to be. So is that why it's so hard for me to get in and out of Malibu? Yeah, pretty much. It's all the Ringes' fault. Um, <laughs> so. No, it's, it's, it's completely fascinating if you're interested in LA history in any way, and I think everyone's interested in Malibu in particular because it's just Malibu. Uh, it's a really interesting book. It's sort of a teaser, too. Um, we have coming up this summer, our July issue, I believe, mm -hmm. is going to be uh, all dedicated to the ins and outs of Malibu. Um, from not only just the really cool history, but I also know we're going to be talking about where to eat and fun stuff to do and how to experience it. So exactly. that's sort of a little teaser to that. But, mm -hmm. um, well, that's great. So we had a lightning round interview, yes. as we do. Yes, we do. Um, your, your hilarious interviews with celebrities. This month we talked to one of my personal favorites. I'm a fan of almost everything he's done. Comedian slash actor Will Arnett. Yes. Who was... Such a wonderful human being, and just as funny in real life as all of his characters on television. So um, this month we were talking to him, chatting about his brand new Netflix series that is called Flaked, and it is that is coming out on March 11th on Netflix for anybody who is a big Will Arnett fan. And it's pretty much like a hyper 
crazy like look at the insular world of Venice, um, like our Venice, not the one in Italy. And it's just, it's hilarious. It's like, I think if there's an LA community that is uh, ripe for um, the Portlandia treatment, oh, yeah. um, it's Venice. It's absolutely Venice. And, and Will Arnett actually lived in Venice on and off um, while he was here filming Arrested Development. And so he's super familiar with the area and just, I mean, he skewers it in the most loving way possible, I would uh, say. I can't wait to see it. Now let's hear how you put him on the spot. Yeah, for sure. These are all going to sound weird, but distilled down into a fun Q&A. So, first question. Which famous but dead Angelino would be most likely to wear Tom's? Cary Grant. Because I think that he would probably do it in a way, like, he'd make it look unexpectedly uh, elegant. Song that could be Venice's unofficial anthem? We all live in a yellow submarine. Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody in Venice is like kind of like in, in agreement that they're all on this weird trip together. Your character rides a bike all the time in your show. Yeah. So, four LA essentials you would put in your bike basket. Four LA essentials, obviously water. Mm -hmm. You have to. And a lock. A bike yeah, lock? A bike sure. Lock. Okay. Maybe sunscreen, like uh, gift coupons for sandwiches at Bay Cities. <laughs> so you could ride over and get. Yes. As many sandwiches as you wanted over on Lincoln, that'd be red. Tony Robbins or Tony Hale? Tony Hale all day. What LA-based comedian do you think would be most comfortable living the rest of their life on the Venice boardwalk? Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> that was no hesitation. None. What's scarier, pilot season or piloting a plane? Given that I'm an actor and not a pilot, I'm gonna say piloting a plane. <laughs> Sometimes pilot season can be scary for actors. Sure, but I mean, again, I'm not a pilot. So right. At least at pilot season, I'm not going to die. I'm just trying to keep it practical. Right, that's right, so. that's fine. Marry, kiss, kill. Michael Sarah, Chris Pratt, or David Sullivan? I marry Michael Sarah because he's so easygoing. To kiss, it's a real toss up. I love both those guys. <laughs> They're both real handsome. I mean, kiss Sully and, and kill Pratt just because Sullivan's on flaked and, you know, I, yeah. can't, I can't kill him. What would your parting words to Chris Pratt be? Sorry, bro. Sorry, bro. <laughs> sorry, bro. Actually, sorry, yeah, bro. Sorry, bro. No, or, no, they'd be, you get it, right, bro? <laughs> well, that's it. Well, you, thank you were such a sport. Thank you. Thank you so much. No, thank I really, you. really appreciate no, it. Me too. Thank you, as always, Marielle, and we will see you back here in a few minutes to talk about 52's Great Saturdays. It's my favorite time, it is time to eat. Your host also functions as the magazine's food editor, and with me is our associate food editor, Josh Scherer. Um, together we scour the city for the most delicious and sometimes not so delicious things to eat, and this month we both did a lot of eating around. First, I'll let you go, Josh. Where, where did you eat uh, uh, for March? Yeah, so for March I ate at a place that I was really excited to go to because I'm a huge Top Chef fanboy. I have been ever since the first season, which I think it was like 13, not to date myself. Anyways, I went to uh, Philip Franklin Lee's Scratch Bar. PFL, uh, for those of you in the know. PFL, aka Man Bun. Apparently he's one of the most hated Top Chef characters. I hate that I call them characters uh, because they're real people with real lives <laughs> and businesses <laughs> and ambitions and emotions. But he is on record as like one of the, the most hated top chefs of all time. Wow. Which like I love any superlative, so like hated, liked, whatever. I really wanted to see what his uh, restaurant offered. Uh, but it's cool. It's in Encino. It is right next to a California pizza kitchen, which PFL eats at at least two times a week. And Do you I know what his is he a barbecue chicken kind of guy? Do we know? No, he said he goes all around the menu. Wow. Which hey. uh, yeah, um, so good for him. Good for CPK. Uh, but it is like the the absolute coolest restaurant. Like. 
despite being in the weirdest two-story strip mall with like a giant canopy-covered escalator leading up to the doors. I feel like in the valley you get like a pass on strip mall location because 90% of all businesses in the valley seem to exist in some sort of strip mall, so it's like a different thing. I'll give it a pass. That's true. They have the, the weird like upscale strip malls too. Like a lot of people are happy to be at strip malls which is strange for me. But you go into the restaurant and there's like one giant chef's counter and there's not even, you know, an actual gas range with a stove. It's just a giant wood-burning grill and there are no servers in the restaurant, there are no sommeliers. Is there, is there food? There, that is like the only <laughs> thing I have. Uh, no, so there are a bunch of like cooks who are serving you all the food and they only do a uh, tasting menu so you can do either like six courses, eight courses, or ten courses, I think, all priced uh, semi-appropriately, but it does seem arbitrary. Like, no one really counts the amount of courses that you get. Oh. They kind of just, like, feed you food and then tell you you're done. Okay. Um, which is, like, a little unnerving. Is it, like, dim sum where you have to just, like, wave at someone and tell them you have to tip over your teapot or something and in order to get them to know that you're, you're finished? I guess so. You just got to give them a lot of side-eye really heavily. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, I'm really good at that. But the food was, uh, it was, it was very, say, avant-garde, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, in line with the things he was cooking on the season where it would walk the line between, you know, what the hell is he doing? And then also, what the hell is he doing? Strawberries, um, the strawberry soup. The strawberry soup, I did not make it on my plate, which I was uh, really disappointed by. I will say it made it on my plate because I and a few of my colleagues here at, at Los Angeles Magazine were on the Restaurant Wars episode. We got to eat at the Top Chef Restaurant Wars episode when uh, PFL got, um, sorry, spoiler alert, everyone, he, uh, that's, that's the episode he went home. And I remember thinking that that weird strawberry soup was the grossest thing ever. Not as many fruit soups, there's still some like <laughs> weird dehydrated fruits that end up in dishes where dehydrated fruits don't necessarily need mm. to be. I left with a, a bad taste in my mouth, both like figuratively and literally. Um, I thought you said this was the coolest place. It is the coolest place. That's the thing. It's like literally if you subbed out the food, if they were just serving Tommy's cheeseburgers, like it's this frenetic environment and there's this giant wood burning oven and everyone's having a great time. And literally everyone else in the restaurant was just like incredibly impressed and they were having the best time. They're all chatting and like jaw jacking with the chefs. And so like, who am I to say that their experience is less valid just because I, you know, am a huge snob about food. And even you look on Yelp, I mean, Yelp is, it's a, a mob rule, but it's at least, you know, indicative of what people think. Crazy good reviews on Yelp. Everyone loves it. They say it's like the best bite of food they've eaten. I had Salmon Roe show up on like five out of my nine dishes. One of his dishes is literally a grilled cheese just covered in Salmon Roe. It makes no sense. And Salmon eggs, for those of you who, um, you know, <laughs> right. aren't, aren't, aren't thinking in terms of uh, row. proving how much of a food snob I am. Uh -huh. But yeah, everyone had, had a great time, it seemed. And so it's just like weird enigma for me. Listen, like, I want to shake people and be like, stop enjoying this. <laughs> Listen, um, no, that is not our job. <laughs> um, but it sounds like it's up to our listeners to go there for themselves and decide whether they're on Team PFL or Team Josh. But also another restaurant uh, I went to nearby, Market Provisions. Now this one I have a soft spot for because the people who, this okay market provisions stick with me here Josh market I'm provision trying. was at one point Cooks County right and then they the owners Claudio and Adria Blata like just just switched to ditched the name which was a little controversial because Cooks County was like really hailed I think we called it the number one rest, new restaurant one year those chefs left 
They switched the name. They rebranded it as Market Provisions um, on Beverly. And they've got the chef Don Dickman in the kitchen now, who is the same chef behind their other restaurant, a regular favorite of mine, Bar Bricks, and then as well as Al Aqua in Atwater Village, which is another one of theirs. So same chef behind all of them. If you like those restaurants, if you've been to Al Aqua and Bar Bricks and you like like yummy Italian and or California small plates with like really great wine lists and um, in a perfectly pleasant room, then Market Provisions is right up your alley. I won't say it like sung to me as anything particularly unique, but every it's the kind of thing that's consistently good, and which is I think on its own something to be excited about. Quickly, last one, um, going to totally the other side of Los Angeles and the globe for ramen, right? Yeah, right, spe Josh? speaking of restaurants opening in other cities that they did not originate in, uh, ramen Tatsunoya originated in Kurame, Japan, mm. which if you asked me to locate that on a map, I would not be able to get close. <laughs> but I look how, how smart you sound. I, yeah, I thought it. I nailed the pronunciation of that. Um, and they officially opened the first storefront in Pasadena, which is very in need of some good ramen. Mm -hmm. Really good, chewy noodles, uh, super opaque, but not like absurdly fatty broth. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily buy the Daikakuya hype, and I've never quite understood, you know, Sujita and their Sukimen. I don't know if you're a fan of Sukimen. Explain what Sukimen is for those of us who don't know. That is a good idea. Uh, Sukimen is a dish of cold noodles served next to a hot, uh, very heavily reduced tonkatsu broth, which is made from pork fat. Otherwise so known as dipping ramen, right? So you're yeah. supposed to take your noodles, your cold noodles, whoop, and then dip them in your sauce and then slurp. Exactly, and that's been known as kind of Sujita's specialty and one of the best noodle dishes in LA. Um, but Tatsunoya is making really good bowls of ramen, uh, really balanced, nothing you know totally out of the ordinary or mind-blowing. Uh, but very, very tasty. Well, this is just scratching the surface. Uh, just of, scratch barring the yeah, surface. Yeah, just scratch barring the surface of all the great restaurants that uh, exist in the month of March. Um, we're, we're getting ready and filling our bellies for April already, so uh, stay tuned. And thank you, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. We are here with Editor-in-Chief Mary Melton to talk to us about this month's Big Read, which is a juicy scandal of the medical variety. Mary, uh, tell us about it. Well, we assigned Stephen McKillen, who's a fabulous reporter and writer, on this case of Michael Drobot. I had never heard of him before. He owned a Long Beach hospital, and he had a whole series of paybacks and bribes and bogus bills and counterfeit schemes going on around spinal surgery. He had lots of people coming in, frequently low-income Latino people who hurt their backs working their asses off, frankly, you know, and come in with back problems. And he, through kind of a loophole in the law, was able to get these sometimes unnecessary back surgeries funded, these very dangerous spinal fusion surgeries funded. And a reason that this loophole was able to continue in this law was because he was having kickbacks to someone who's a high up, Ron Calderon, part of a political dynasty, who is now being charged with uh, conspiracy charges. Yeah, as someone who just did my taxes and saw how much I'm paying for Medicare, to see the levels of fraud that took place in this particular case um, had me outraged. This is probably going to become California's largest case of medical fraud. We're talking about half a billion dollars. And not only were they overcharging for these sometimes unnecessary surgeries and preying on people who are really vulnerable and hurting and needing some kind of care, they also were manufacturing this is very hard to believe, um, like 
bogus hardware. Like this is usually, you know, if you're gonna be getting a screw put into your body, you wanna be sure it's really like FDA approved. And these weren't, and things were sometimes breaking in people's bodies. Yeah, that's the thing. This is one of those rare cases where it's not just paperwork. A lot of times you read about these Medicare fraud cases and a lot of times it's really at the end of the day, just a lot of paperwork. People are hurt. People's bodies are hurt. People went under surgery, went into surgery for this. So um, it's terrifying. Yeah, and the scale of it is just huge. And the fact that it was able to go on for so long, for five years, is really crazy. And that there was actually someone in such a high position who knew about this and who was who was participating in it. And in fact, Tom Calderon, who is Assemblyman Ron Calderon's brother, was actually the legislative consultant to this hospital owner. So the, the web there gets really, really messy. Yes, it gets tangled and it goes very high up. Um, without spoiling everything, how, how did they finally get caught? What, what, what finally led to... Uh to them as um, is now typical, finally being indicted. As, as we hear about a lot of these, whistleblowing is, is, is involved, right? You've got to have someone on the inside who's ready to say, wait a minute, this is, this is wrong. Um, and what something I love about Stephen McKillen as a writer is there are so many layers to the story of characters and, um, and misconduct, and he just can weave together these trial stories in a way, I think kind of unlike any other writer I know in LA. Well, and that's the thing, you know, you hear uh, medical fraud, politics, doesn't sound like necessarily a quick page turner, but um, he has a way with the narrative that really makes it suspenseful and exciting, and again, um, uh, it's a story of outrage. Yeah, and like any truly great writer, he knows like at the core of this is a story of a character and characters, and he really brings them to life. And that can, I think, frequently be a problem with this kind of legal, and I say in air quotes reporting, is that you forget, and you forget this, I think this is kind of a fault sometimes of the way we report on politicians too. Like they are these kind of larger than life characters and actually bringing to life what they're um, what they're doing is, is not always easy, but he can do it. Well, it's a great read. Uh, everybody should pick it up. And thank you so much, Mary. You're welcome. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? She's back, Marielle Joachim. <laughs> Can't our, stay away. <laughs> our Marielle Joachim, our arts and culture editor, is uh, has returned to my office to talk about our cover story for the month of March, uh, 52 Saturdays. So I have one question for you, Marielle. Yes. What did Friday and Sunday ever do to you? Listen, Friday is pretty much is the day when you're exhausted from work. Sunday, your whole day is sucked up by waiting in line for brunch, or you're at Target, or you're sitting on your couch. So Saturday is kind of the perfect day to get out and explore the city. It's like if you're spending your Saturday at Target, you're doing Saturday wrong. It's like the perfect day to just go and be and explore your city. So that is what the 52 Great Saturdays package is all about. And what's really fun about it is, but what has 52 things in it? A deck of cards. So uh, And a year. And a year. <laughs> weeks, yes. So we, we came up with an entire year's worth of itineraries, but um, kind of with like a pick a Saturday, any Saturday type of theme. It is you. pretty fun. You can kind of flip through and like do the close your eyes and point if you mm -hmm. are sitting at home on a Saturday or mm -hmm. in line at Target. Yeah. Um, and uh, and kind of get a plan. But we so it's structured around sort of the kinds of activities and what they're going to bring you as a yes. person or the kinds of things that you want to do. Yes. What what's what's a great Saturday activity that, that can bring me not only just some really cool Instagram pictures but also maybe a sense of inner inner self-worth? Well we have a really great Saturday um, that's kind of like a Santa Monica food crawl. That's it's an all-day thing. You can literally walk it. It's five miles around trip you'll walk off all the calories that you eat but it's about starting in the morning um, for breakfast and coffee at Huckleberry and then having oysters right on the ocean at Blue Plate Oysterette and then pretty much eating your face off at Bay Cities and Tacos Punta Cabras 
going back to north to Wilshire at uh, for Muscle Pozole at Rustic Canyon, and then finishing up with a drink at Chestnut Club. So it's an all-day affair of deliciousness. I am the food and drink editor. I vouch for every single one of these recommendations. Mm-hmm. That would be a really delicious way to spend your Saturday Absolutely. and explore Santa Monica, exactly. which has such great dining, but so much of it is more of like kind of all-day dining. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a that's an awesome itinerary. That yeah. would be that would be my dream Saturday. It's super fun, and we also have some really fun dates in this issue planned for depending on whatever dating app that you're on hmm. just to you know keep it keep it millennial we're talking about all you know if whether you're on hinge or bumble or tinder okay wait so, so what what would i do if i was on hinge oh, well, what's my date okay if you were on hinge Which, uh, explain the 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 yes yes the so point behind hinge so hinge so hinge ma- matches you with friends of friends so it's kind of like one of those dating apps where like you don't want to go out to drinks because if you have one too many that person's going to go home and be like Sally, your friend is a total weirdo and yeah. got hammered on this date. But it's also good if you don't like strangers. Also good if you don't like strangers. So what we're recommending in the 52 Great Saturdays package is since it matches you up with friends of friends, go have a great brunch at the Misfit in Santa Monica, have some shakshuka, have some free chocolate salty cookies at the end of it, and then if all goes well and you're vibing with this person, go have that like cliched long walk on the beach on the strand. and. Kind of just spend a day getting to know somebody without mojitos involved. What if I do want to get a lot of mojitos involved? If you want to get mojitos Am I, and involved, I'm probably on you're probably on Tinder. I'm on Tinder. It's highly <laughs> likely you're on Tinder. Um, but it's cool because you know you don't have to buy into that crazy hookup culture that Tinder does. You can like keep it keep it fun, but keep it classy. Take a potential bow to the corner door in Culver City. Um, have a drink that are. Their, their names are so fun and their ingredients are great and it's kind of an intimate little cozy spot. And so you're having, you know, having a casual night, but then the mojitos are involved, so you never know. Keep it classy, Tinder. Keep it classy. Uh, okay, so I'm done taking care of my heart. Uh, I want to expand my mind. Yes. Not without the use of hallucinogenics, which is my right. usual Saturday sure. activity. Um, so what can I do to feel smarter on my Saturday? Well, there are so many, obviously there are so many ways you can pick up a class. You can, you know, go to a cool museum. One of them, we recommend a, a, a DJing class at the DJ Academy in West LA. You can learn to... Finally, learn. my scratching skills. Oh, yeah. We have... I a place that I've actually been to that I'm a huge fan of which is the Institute of Domestic Technology Mm -hmm. which is a place where you can learn it's basically home ec for grown-ups they offer classes on everything like a basics classes which is what I took that was about making jam and cheese and bread and stuff which is awesome Um, but they have really niche classes about cocktails and coffee roasting and um, a guy's doing a butchery class now so that place if you want to like pick up a weird skill that has some way to do with food crafting in any way that is the place to do it I, I completely support that recommendation definitely um and full all-day classes they're great okay so I feel smarter and I know how to make stuff and I'm a DJ professionally mm-hmm. so but let's say I kind of just want to have some me time on my Saturday what what's some great stuff that are it's good to do alone well you know we were t- talking about this and we we're saying there's no I in weekend but there really should be because sometimes there are people who just need to have like W-E-E okay, okay you're right there's a we but there's no I <laughs> but um um, there are some really cool things around the city that you can do that, of course, you can bring people to them, but really when it comes down to it, it's just you and the hang glider or you and the zip line, which are two of the things that we recommend um, on to do, you know, on something you can do on your own where you go up to Big Pine zip lines and you can do a, a canopy tour where you're doing all this fun zip lining through the San Gabriel Mountains or you're doing you're racing a Ferrari at Auto Club Speedway in Fontana and you can actually get behind the wheel of some other crazy cool cars it's a little pricey but i mean you know it's kind of like 
pricey or living out your fast and furious dreams. You have to spend on yourself. It's true. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, and one thing you talk about for that too is going to an art gallery by yourself, which yes. I have to say is one of my absolute favorite solo activities. Not only do you like to get to spend as much time as you want pondering art or skipping by art, mm -hmm. but you get to just kind of stand there quietly and people watch and hear everyone else's commentary and that's yes. the best part. Yeah. So um, really, uh, if you're on your own, that's a great, great thing to do. I feel like my Saturday is a stacked deck. Oh yeah. Um, oh full, yeah. Uh, chock full of really cool stuff. There's, I, we need to invent a few more Saturdays so we can do everything that's chalked in this package. There are tons more great itineraries, food, drinking, out, fun, exercise, hiking. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, for the rest of them, you can pick up the issue or go to lanag.com. Mm -hmm. Okay, we've turned to the final page of our uh, Audible magazine, uh, our time frame, where we revisit L our in-house his LA historian, Chris Nichols, Hello. to give us a little extra bonus tidbit of LA history. So um, it sounds like there's some LA history that is making very current news. Well, I've been really excited to read about the Sheets Goldstein House near Beverly Hills. It's this John Lautner concrete um, organic house from 1963. And the same guy's had it for about 40 years, Jim Goldstein. And he's that guy that dresses up in super elaborate clothes and sits courtside at all the Laker games uh -huh. with the long hair. <laughs> and he, he's had that house for so long, but he just decided to give it away to LACMA. So, How very generous of him. <laughs> yeah. Well, not only the house, but the artwork inside, his clothing, his Rolls Royce, and $17 million for maintenance. Uh, what about that courtside seat? Who's that going to? <laughs> yeah, I don't know who that goes to, but maybe some lucky LACMA patron will get to go uh, see the Lakers in the future. So when a house gets donated to LACMA, that doesn't necessarily mean that Joe Schmo can go now walk through it. No, I mean, it's in a residential neighborhood, so they'll probably have a very restricted, you know, um, access to it. You know, you'll probably have to sign up, uh, like, for a rain room or something, you know, and get a, get a van trip up there to the hillside with, you know, a handful of people. But, you know, you're in this spectacular house with a handful of people. I mean, that's even better than being there with everybody. So it'll be really incredible to, to get in there and uh, and see it for forever. I mean, which is so great that an institution like LACMA has it. So for, for those of us who are architecture buffs, what are some of the unique aspects of this house that's now donated to LACMA? Oh, it's just, it's Lautner, who was a, a student of Frank Lloyd Wright, and it it's kind of grows up out of the ground like organic architecture does. It has this very sort of soaring pyramid great room um, that sort of goes out with a uh, open, with walls of glass that open up and shit to the, to the tremendous view. There's hundreds of highball glasses that he sunk into the into the roof, and it's like a skylight. So he, a lot of the architect talked about it being like the the dappled light that comes through a, a forest when you walk through, you know, when you're in that room. And and Goldstein has turned the place into a forest, into a jungle with all this incredible elaborate landscaping. And and um, look at it on Google Earth, and it's just a sea of green. It's you can't even see the house anymore. It's all trees and, and jungle. It's pretty great. Well, what a fascinating uh, man with good taste and uh, an equally generous heart, it sounds yeah. like. Uh, thank, thank you, Chris. You. Thank you, Mr. Goldstein. Thank you, thank you, Chris, and thank you, Mr. Goldstein. Well, as they say, that's all, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to check back next month when we take a little road trip through the Southwest and spend a little time at our favorite century-old haunt for martinis and flannel cakes, Musso and Frank. And in the meantime, you can find information on these stories and more on newsstands and at lamag.com. Till next month. <laughs>